freedom. I don't have to put in a nine to five slog to make an income. I can make an income working from home. I can make an income better than my husband working from home a fraction of the hours that he works. Not to like call him out because now he'll be like, ooh. <laughs> but now we're equally blown away that like, wow, like you did it. Like you made that happen. And you know, there's so many different ways to mother. And, and as my kid grows and changes, like the amount of time I want to spend with him or want to spend on the business, like, I feel like that's always in flux. But I'm glad to have the option to work less, not more. And have the option to work more when I want to work more too. But to be able to make an income without being a slave to the clock is just so freeing. Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and this podcast is especially made for you if you are a highly ambitious businesswoman, you take your business very seriously, and you know that this entire experience is one long journey. Welcome to the entire Biz Women Rock community. There are thousands of other women entrepreneurs just like you who are on this journey with you. My job here at the podcast is to be able to give you some insights, really deep and soul-fulfilling conversations about this journey, strategies that might help you along, and words of encouragement so that you can have the most joy possible. You're jumping into a special series that I'm running right now called the Mompreneur Series because not only have I been a mompreneur for the past two and a half years, but there are so many other women entrepreneurs who also are mothers. Now, whether you are a mother or not, I promise you that listening to each and every one of these incredible conversations with these women will teach you something, at least one or two nuggets that you will walk away with that will allow you to maybe work your business a little bit better, implement a strategy that somebody talked about, and most importantly, make you feel connected and that we are all in this game together. So enjoy the Mompreneur series on the Biz Women Rock podcast. Lily Nichols wrote her first book, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes, in 2015 with no intention of making money. As a registered dietitian and nutritionist and someone who had built a practice helping women through gestational diabetes, she wrote it because she was so desperate to get her revolutionary and evidence-based ideas out to a world of moms who needed it. So when the response to her book was so great and money was coming in and she was the first book that came up in Amazon when somebody typed in those two words, she was happily surprised and a little savvier on how she could also generate revenue from her next book, Real Food for Pregnancy. During this conversation, Lily and I are diving deep into not only how she makes great income on her self-published books, but also how she's constantly evolving her business before and after her son was born. She shares a great tip on how she baby-proofed her business, and it's a tip that is ideal for anyone who is doing one-on-one -on -one work with clients. She also shares why she's transitioning out of one-on-one -on -one work now with clients, even though they are begging her to work with them. How she's becoming a master negotiator with her two-year-old. Oh my gosh, such the stage. And she also shares two of the biggest gifts her mom life and her entrepreneurial life have given to each other. 
efficiency and freedom. Oh, she has such a beautiful explanation of this. That's at the very, very end. Lily is absolutely remarkable. And I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. Lily, what is going on, girl? Oh, man, so much. Life is busy with a two-year-old, as you know. <laughs> we were just commiserating or sharing stories. We'll, we'll call it swapping stories instead of commiserating about the life of the mom of a two-year-old. Mine's two and a half right now. Yours is two. And uh, we, we were talking about the no phase, which your son is yep. in right now, and mm-hmm. the potty training phase, which my daughter's in right now. <laughs> mm-hmm both with their own complications and joyful moments. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know. I was sharing with my husband that like, it's like you're the boss of somebody who doesn't necessarily comprehend what you're saying or doesn't want to follow what you're saying. And there's pretty much zero consequence. Like you can't <laughs> fire them. <laughs> you have to get like super creative about motivating them to do things. It's oh like, my, oh my gosh. So it's like negotiation skills. Serious. This is the age of like, really? I think that yeah. I will speak from a mommy standpoint, although this is absolutely true for dads too, I'm sure. But like from a mommy standpoint, this is the age where you get really good at negotiating. Like yes. me, not them. Like me, I'm like, okay, what do I need to take away from you? What do I need to give to you? And yes. like, what do I need to do for all of that? Yeah. And then how do you do it in a way that you're presenting it as if it's their choice? So like, you know, they don't want to do something. So instead of asking them to do something, you say, do you want to do this or this? Yes. And then they have to choose one. Sometimes they'll just say no, but (laughs) you're more likely to get a positive response if you give them choice. These are all these things that just sort of evolve over time. Like I didn't know any of this coming into mommyhood, but after a while you start realizing you're saying no to everything. I've got to give you some options. So it seems like it's your choice. And pretending it's your choice, it's really not. (laughs) And then you got to celebrate that choice. Yeah. Mine lately is, Sedona, do you want two pigtails or do you want one ponytail? Because she doesn't like me touching her hair right now. So it's like, it's hot here. So we need to get your hair out of your face. And so it's like, even that is like 50% of the time, she still will fight me, run around the house. It's not working. And then the other 50%, she does it. So I have to like, yay, good job. Oh my gosh, look at how beautiful. Go show daddy. Yay. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. Over celebrating the small victories. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Such is the life of the mom and the ever evolving mom, right? I am so grateful that you're here. It was total chance encounter and a virtual one at that, that you and I are meeting here for the first time because I saw a post. You and I are part of a private Facebook group that's pretty darn awesome filled with other really just amazing and smart and awesome mompreneurs. And I happened to see a post that you had celebrating the success that your book was having. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, cool. This is cool. The book itself is called Real Food for Pregnancy. And that in and of itself, I was like, okay, well, cool. That's awesome. That's totally like in line with kind of the mommy journey, right? And the fact that you were the author of it, the fact that you were receiving accolades for it, the fact that you were like experiencing this great business success was just such a cool snapshot. And I was like, okay, let's let's talk about this. So I, there you're here. So let's talk about it. So I'm going to just dive in right in the middle, which is like, why did you write the book? Yeah. (laughs) Good question. (laughs) Yeah. So Real Food for Pregnancy is actually my second book. My first one is Real Food for Gestational Diabetes. And I have sort of by chance, it's funny, specialized in prenatal nutrition for most of my career. So by training, I'm a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator. So 
I came out with my first, I'm going to go back and forth between books because it all ties together the journey from one to the other. Real Food for GD is now, that was published in 2015. So it's now three years old. And pretty soon after I came out with that book, and by the way, that book was presenting what I had developed. I call it my real food approach for managing gestational diabetes. It was very different than what the conventional nutrition world says you should do for gestational diabetes. And I was sharing that and all the research behind it and like motivational stories from other women in that book. And um, it was really also very different just from conventional prenatal nutrition guidelines as a whole. That was a super passion project for me. I didn't know what would come of that book. I was like completely blown away by the response that I got to that book. And it still sells copies every single day. Like people love that book. And soon after I published that, I started getting requests from people, hey, this book is so great. The information seems like it'd be good for all pregnant women, whether or not they have blood sugar issues or not. Do you have a recommendation on a prenatal nutrition book? And I scoured the market looking for one and I couldn't find one that A, was like evidence-based, B, was from a real food perspective. So a lot of prenatal nutrition stuff is pushing like fortified foods, eat this fortified cereal for your iron, eat this fortified whatever for your folic acid. It just wasn't in line with my approach. And eventually I knew I was going to have to write this book. Of course, in the meantime, I like got pregnant and had a baby (laughs) and was raising that baby. So real food for pregnancy was like outlined in my brain for a long time, like definitely over a year, two years, (laughs) I don't know, a while while I was in the midst of all the pregnancy motherhood stuff myself. And it was just a matter of time to write it. And I had assumed when I started writing this, like, oh, it'll be like real easy because it's going to be a lot of the same principles from the other book. And then it just turned into this massive research project, which is kind of typical of how I approach things. It's like, well, if I'm making this statement, I have to back it up with research. So what I thought would be a really quick project turned into double the length of my other book with like six times more references to research. It just turned into this insane project combined with the timeline. It just took forever with a kid. It's like, you never know when you're going to have time to work and if nap time is going to go well and can I time this here and just trying to organize your thoughts in the midst of chaos. It was fun and overwhelming and I'm glad it's done. (laughs) I'm curious to know, did you have that idea in your head before you got pregnant for that book? Did you... I'm saying this because this is something I would do. So I I don't want to automatically put this on you, but I'd be interested to know myself and many women that I know who find themselves pregnant utilize it as a way to sort of have a timeline and say, okay, I'm going to get this thing done, this one important thing done, or this thing in my business done by the time I have baby. Did that come up for you? We had, you know, Jacqueline Malone was on the podcast earlier in the series and she talked about that, how, you know, when she got pregnant with her second, she got like really down and dirty in series of like, I've got a time thing here and let's use this, right? Like, did you have any of that showing up for you when you were pregnant, whether it was with the book or whether it was with anything in your business? I was not ready to start this book. The book had been released for, I don't know, less than six months by the time I got pregnant. I'd have to look back at the calendar and get you exact numbers on that. But I wasn't yet ready to work on another thing. A, I didn't know if the book would pay off. Like, it takes a long time to... Well, it can take a long time to make money from a book. And so I wasn't sure if it would be worth it for me to do the book. But I was also still of the mindset you like you've created at the time, what you think is like a masterpiece. And you're like, 
well, no, no, no. Every pregnant woman can just read this book, even though there's like gestational diabetes in the title and everything is talking about blood sugar that (laughs) she probably doesn't care about. But I was like, no, 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 I don't need to write a book on this. I was still of the mindset that there are other books that already fill that void. I had thought about it, but I hadn't yet done my market research to see what was out there. So no. And then in my first trimester, I was just so fatigued and that like queasy on and off queasiness. There was no energy to work on a massive project. I had a lot of energy my second trimester. And then my third trimester was like, let's try to baby proof this business (laughs) for now. What did that look like? Well, actually let's give a little bit of a backdrop. So you had written the book. What did business look like for you when you were pregnant with your son? Like what was your business model back then? Yeah. What was my business model? It's the business model that I'm currently kind of transitioning out of actually, which was primarily one-on-one client work. So uh, nutrition consulting. And I was consulting on some research projects related to gestational diabetes speaking. I would do quite a few like webinars on gestational diabetes and writing for my own business. I also had a course on gestational diabetes. So I had, quote, passive income, which is never really passive, but I had recurring income coming in from my book and my course. But otherwise, it was like consulting, one-on-one nutrition coaching, and some speaking in terms of baby-proofing. Yeah. What did you do in that third trimester? Like, What did that mean for you and your business to baby-proof it? Well, I honestly didn't know what that was going to mean. What I decided to do, which ended up being a really smart move was putting up a waiting list for all of my one-on-one consulting packages because a lot of... I feel like a lot of being in business, at least in the nutrition coaching realm, well, anyone who's offering one-on-one services is like fielding requests. People want more information. Can we set up a call to talk about this? Can we... I was like, I don't have the time or energy to do this right now. And I'm not going to have the time or energy to do this after baby. So I'm going to set up a waiting list. You're interested in the program. You opt into this email list and I don't have to see any of it right now. And then once I'm ready to come back to business and see one-on-one clients, I can email that list. And I know those are people who at least at one time were interested in working with me one-on-one. And that worked out really well because I A, didn't have to decide how long my maternity leave was going to last. It gave me a lot of wiggle room. Not that that was like completely non-stressful. You're always thinking in early postpartum as you're like, have like a permanent ass groove on the couch nursing. (laughs) You're always thinking like, okay, when does this need to happen? When does that need to happen? But still, it did give me that wiggle room to kind of see how I was doing and where there was room to fit in clients and whatnot. And then by the time I was ready to take on some clients, I just emailed the list and all my spots were booked and it was easy peasy. It didn't have to do some huge marketing thing. It was a really gentle, gradual transition back into work. Did you put any more time and energy into the promotion of your book at that time or the course at that time, the kind of your products that could sell without you being there basically in order to kind of get yourself ready for that maternity leave. Yeah. Well, I booked myself more heavily with clients in the last couple months of pregnancy for sure. It's hard to say in terms of like promoting. So the hard thing about promoting a course with gestational diabetes is people only have this usually for, or it's only on their radar for like the last third of their pregnancy, maybe. And they're probably only thinking about investing in something to make it easier to manage for like the first week or two until you figure something out that's working. So 
a book is the perfect product because it's a low price point. It's very informational. They can get it easily, especially like Kindle, you get immediately. A course that's a higher investment is a challenge to market. Any of my big marketing efforts have failed miserably for that course. So it is entirely like doing a launch four times a year. That doesn't work for gestational diabetes because you're going to catch like this teeny tiny fraction of people who actually need it. It is an evergreen course that's available at any time. And it's a matter of getting it in front of women. More, more people, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mostly do like interviews and content marketing and people that find it, find it. And if not, no big deal. But I do a lot of interviews, which inadvertently helped to sell either the course or the book. And I'm lucky enough that since the book has had such a big following, there's a pretty consistent stream of passive income from that. That definitely helped pad my maternity leave without having to like A, in the States and B, as an entrepreneur, you got to like fend for yourself. You got to like stockpile like a little squirrel preparing for winter. So it was nice to have that as a little insurance policy. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, well, if I'm not ready to go back to one-on-one consults at like three or four months, then at least I have a little bit coming in from this place or that place. You know, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because there is a pretty well distributed thought out there called, you don't write a book to make money. You're not going to make money on a book. You've obviously had a different experience. Tell us a little bit about why you think that is. A little bit maybe about your strategy on how you price a book, where you're putting the book. Obviously, like it's a very niche topic. And so the people who are looking, that's one of the products that I would think that they are ready to consume right away. So it's really smart and just like what type of a product are you putting that information in? But tell me a little bit about like what that experience has been like for you. And did you have intentions of really making money with the book? And how are you kind of moving that forward? Yeah. First book had zero intentions of making much money off of it. I had this like crazy nagging need to get this information out there. It was like eating me up inside to hear about women who had gestational diabetes who were being told to eat the absolute wrong foods (laughs) and have really high blood sugar and have complications and have massive doses of insulin and crazy blood sugar highs and lows. And then all of the downstream effects on the developing baby that was like, Oh my gosh, I have to get like, it was like a service to society. (laughs) I was like, I have to get this out here and do so in a way that is evidence-based. So I don't seem like a crazy person. Like there's research behind everything that I put out. So that was a passion project. I didn't know if it would sell at all. I think in the first month I sold 75 copies of that book and I was like absolutely blown away. I also had done zero marketing. Zero. I didn't even consider going on an interview or anything until after the book was published. I was like so in creation mode. It was like the classic creator's downfall where they don't market at all and they just put it out. After the fact, I did hit marketing hard and did a lot of interviews. And I think part of the book's success is A... It was really niche. So there weren't very many books on the topic to begin with. And the ones that were out there were all spouting the same outdated stuff that doesn't work very well. And it also, a lot of the information out there on gestational diabetes is very like fear-mongering scare tactics, sort of. And mine was um, very approachable. I mean, I'd counseled hundreds and hundreds of women with gestational diabetes one-on-one. And so I know how to talk to people to make them feel okay about what's going on and give them an action plan. So that comes across, I think, in the book. So it just got really popular. Like I think back like within a month of being released, 
you searched Amazon for gestational diabetes and it was the first result. And then it just word of mouth like crazy. I mean, if you get diagnosed with GD, you're going to look everywhere for information. You search Amazon for a book, you find it. You search gestational diabetes in a podcast, I'm probably the person being interviewed. That all helped. And then if you do happen to have gestational diabetes, it is a temporary thing. It's like whether or not you develop type 2 diabetes later in life is a different story, but purely gestational diabetes is diabetes in pregnancy. So it's something that's going to pass. But if you come across somebody who's been diagnosed later on, you're going to talk about what worked for you. And so it's just been a huge grassroots thing. And it's been really surprising. I mean, even there's a lot of researchers who have picked it up. I worked on a study with Rebecca Decker of Evidence-Based Birth, and she worked the book into the study protocol. All the participants got a copy of the book. Like the country, the Czech Republic changed their gestational diabetes guidelines based on the information in my book. So it's like surprising that it just did what it did. But I think it was a combination of a lot of things, being niche, being evidence-based, well-written. I mean, you go on like Kindle and download a book and like a lot of books out there are just really poor quality, poorly written, typos everywhere. Self-publishing for that reason gets a really bad name. So when you put out something that isn't full of all these errors and is well-written and is easy to follow and you do happen to market it and you do reach the audience, like you sell books. And when you're self-published, you make money off of your books. You're not making like a dollar a copy. Like you're not making 8% royalties. People don't realize that the royalties on traditional published books are like abysmal. You do make zero money (laughs) off of traditionally published books. But if you're self-published, your return on investment is much higher. So as long as you can get it in the hands of your audience, and given our Amazon era, it does that for you, then... Never been a better time or an easier time, really. So for writing the second book, I knew that I had an audience. People were asking me for this book on prenatal nutrition. I had a really good idea of what my market was. And I was pretty confident that people would buy it. (laughs) If they're asking for it, at least some people are going to buy it. So that also gave me motivation to, okay, yes, it is a viable business option to write a second book because it put like 15 months of work into Real Food for Pregnancy. That's not... like I took off time from doing projects. I way pared down my one-on-one consulting. That was my focus for more than a year. I'm not unintelligent. I wouldn't work on something if it wasn't also going to be a financial reward at the end. That's not my sole goal, but I also like need to pay for my family. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's part of the whole package. So I'm interested... What has life looked like for you since your son has been born? For the past two years, you had what I'm now going to call the luxury. And I think that you would agree with me. You had the luxury of writing the first book, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes, Sans Kid, which means that you had a heck of a lot more time or bigger chunks or less interruptions, ultimately. What has life looked like for you in the business realm Over the past two years, what does it look like for your one-on-one clients? What does it look like for you marketing and going and getting an interview and going and speaking and also then all those months spent actually writing this book? What has the reality been? Oh, yeah. Good question. Where do I even start? So... Early postpartum, I did take time off. Other than there's one thing I didn't take off. I always write a weekly email, newsletter, and blog post. And although I'm not always blogging every week, I kept up with communicating with my list. I didn't want to disappear forever from communication and then be, I don't know, irrelevant or starting over. So I kept up with that. 
the whole time. What I didn't come back to right away was one-on-one work. I think I was maybe four or five months postpartum until I took my first one-on-one client and then quickly realized, oh crap, I need childcare if I'm going to make scheduling <laughs> like possible. I also did a big speaking gig at Paleo FX at about three months-ish postpartum. And that was really hard. I killed it. I did great at my talk. It all went well in the end, but there was so much stuff behind the scenes to be ready to present, like creating the presentation. Like I didn't finish my presentation until like two days before the event because you can't find time. Your time is so disjointed. So you're like trying to get 15 minutes here. You get 10 minutes there. You get... 30 minutes here. Oh my gosh, the baby's napping for this long. I got an hour, but you've like wasted half an hour of it thinking that they're going to wake up any minute. So you're not going to actually dive in like hardcore into your project. It was a bit crazy. And then trying to plan out like, okay, when am I going to nurse before, after, and all the things that you like don't think about, like the logistics of traveling with a baby and nursing a baby and going to these events. And can I make it two hours without nursing or pumping? It's like, it was a lot to take into consideration. Fast forward from early postpartum, a big challenge all along has just been finding childcare that you trust, that's affordable, that's consistent. That has been a big challenge with one-on-one clients because you want to have some semblance of availability on your calendar so people have a choice of when to meet with you. And you can only have set ability if you have childcare. So that's been challenging because I've worked from about six months on, I've had between eight to 12 hours of childcare a week and that's it. So I had to get pretty clear about how many one-on-one clients would be realistic for me to take on and at one time and have decent availability for them and also be able to respond to emails in a timely manner. It's like, that's a lot when you are pretty much full-time full-time mommying. And that's like, that's ongoing. And I'll be, I think we talked about before we jumped on the call, but I'll be transitioning out of one-on-one stuff, which is, a, it, it's bittersweet. It's what I want and what I need right now. But when you've worked for so many years to like build up a practice and I have a pretty long waiting list of people, like people are pretty much trying to like convince me to work with them. Like, Oh, can you please fit me in? Can you, oh. it's like, that's a really good problem to have in the nutrition sphere. Cause so many other people are struggling to find clients, but there is no time. <laughs> like I don't have the time for it. And I just have to make the call to focus on different things. And then the book part, I didn't start writing the book till my son was like 10 months old. Like that's only when I had started having more brain power back. (laughs) Brain power, a little more sleep, a little more drive to actually work on a big project. Yeah. I'm going to call her Dr. Estes because at the moment, I'm so blanking on her full name. But she's the woman who wrote Women Who Run With The Wolves. Like the iconic feminist woman power book from... I remember reading it back when I was in college. I had the pleasure of meeting her at a podcast conference years ago. And she was getting into the podcasting arena at that time. I believe she now is a podcaster. And she took me aside because I was talking about just writing. And I asked her, I was like, how in the world did you write this book? She took me aside and she said, I wrote this book in 5 and 10 minute increments while I was raising my kids. She's like, you can do anything. Little bites. That's all you need. <laughs> I was and, like, that was, and that yeah. was my book too. 
especially because I didn't have a kid who was like, some of these people have kids who nap. Maybe you have one. I don't know. These like unicorn babies that (laughs) take three hour naps every single day, like on the dot. Not my kid. It couldn't count on nap time as like a work time. It was pretty much only when I had childcare, I would nurse him to sleep on the couch and be like researching and writing on my phone, like getting carpal (laughs) tunnel. Like Seriously, it was really disjointed. But you know what? Because you have so much of this at least when they're really young and not yet super mobile, you have in a way a lot of downtime. You have a lot of this in-between time where you can't necessarily be working because you're playing with them or nursing them or they're napping on you or something Something is going on. But you have a lot of time to think. And so by the time I would sit down at my desk, I like knew I only had a short amount of time or I assumed I only had 10 minutes. So it was really productive. There was no time wasting. There was no flipping through social media. I was barely on social media when my son was younger, barely posting anything because I was like, I don't have time to be distracted. (laughs) If I want to finish this, I got to work on it. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's That's a really interesting concept, like that idea of like, there is this time, but you can't be doing anything other than sort of being there or thinking about all that stuff. So you are prepared. Your mind is sort of like set, like knows exactly what it's going to do when that window opens up. I think that's true of motherhood as a whole is that I don't care how old your kids are, whether they're five days old or 15 years old at this point. Like, at least for me, it's just forced me to be super productive with the time. Like, it's weird to have a wasted moment. Believe me, I get into those every once a blue moon because why not? Right. And like, I don't like thinking that I have to be productive every moment of the day. But my daughter goes to school three days a week. And so if she's at school, there's like, I've got this many hours. What are the most important things I need to do? And all of the superfluous stuff like just goes to the side. Like I don't... Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. I don't need like, that. What, so, what do you need to hammer out for the day? And then, hey, I finished a little bit early. Okay, maybe I have 20 minutes to chill. Or there was always times when I'd be like, I am too tired and too sleep deprived and too burnt out or whatever to work right now. I am going to sit down and like watch something on Netflix. But that was few and far between. <laughs> There was a lot of just like, I got 20 minutes, let me write. And then as my son got older and was more happy not being with mama or not being in mama's arms, I could send him out with dad or with the sitter or something to get a little more work done. But yeah, it's a slog in the beginning. It is. It's not easy. You have to get really creative with how you're going to get work done. But again, that's something that writing is something you can do in that in between time, it can be done at any time versus like client calls, interviews, speaking, things that are scheduled. Things that are scheduled are tough with kids because kids don't follow a schedule. (laughs) We always like if they would, but they pretty much never do. So at least when they're really young. So it's challenging to fit things in around that moving target. Yeah. I would love to hear as we conclude, what has been the biggest gift that being a mom has given to your business? I would have to say efficiency. Kind of like we were talking about, I just feel so much more efficient. I think back to when I first started blogging. So circa like 2013, maybe even 2012. But if it was 2012, I probably only wrote two posts because I was too self-critical to publish anything. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the day, I would like edit and edit and edit and edit and edit and edit. And they would just making it more and more and more perfect. And now I am so much more... I I embrace the, the done is better than perfect mantra way more. Like, are there words on the page? Is it grammatically correct? Is it saying what I need it to say? 
it's good enough. Could I make this more flowery and prettier? And uh, yeah, sure I could, but is it worth it? Is it worth my time? Do I have the time to even do that? No, this is done. Okay. Ready. (laughs) I'm just a lot more efficient and decisive. And I don't say that I'm putting out like poor quality work, but it's just, I don't stress over it being perfect as much. Yeah. I love that. So true. I'm raising my hand as a fellow perfectionist here. I will ask the opposite side of the coin question. What is the biggest gift that being a businesswoman has given to you as a mother? Oh gosh, freedom. I don't have to put in a nine to five slog to make an income. I can make an income working from home. I can make an income better than my husband working from home a fraction of the hours that he works. Not to like call him out because now he'll be like, (laughs) (laughs) no, we're equally blown away that like, wow, like you did it. Like you made that happen. And you know, there's so many different ways to mother. And, and as my kid grows and changes, like the amount of time I want to spend with him or want to spend on the business, like I feel like that's always in flux, but I'm glad to have the option to work less, not more. And have the option to work more when I want to work more too. But to be able to make an income without being a slave to the clock is just so freeing. I love that. I can't think of a better way to end this interview. I so appreciate you being here and sharing your story and your experience and diving into a little bit about the books and the before and after always really intrigues me as you listening might hear from some of the other interviews on this mompreneur series. But I just so appreciate you sharing that. And I ask you to leave with that thought on your mind about this freedom. What a gift that is. This freedom and the other way, the efficiency. I think that that's so true for every single mompreneur I've ever talked to. What a blessing. I was on a walk on the water this morning after I dropped my daughter off at school. And I just got to take my own time. I wasn't on like a massive rush or anything. And I just sat there thinking, it's a Monday morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. And here I am on a walk on the water with no one around because it's 10 a.m. on Monday. And I was like, I am so grateful that I have the freedom to do this and to have this lifestyle that allows me not to be in that traffic over there. Just to be able to do more great things for people and not have to have it look like the hustle. Just such a great thought to end on. So Lily, thank you so much for being here. I just so appreciate your wisdom and just really am so happy that everyone got to hear it. Yeah. Hey, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate the invite. Some of my coaching clients come to me because they are so incredibly determined to get to that next phase of their business and they just need some help doing it. Some of my clients come to me because they are so overwhelmed and in the throes of chaos and they come to me for focus and clarity and intentional strategies. But overall, all of my clients come to me because they crave to do more to show up more in line with who they are and what they love to do in this world in a way that gives them the business that they love. Some people call me a business coach. Some people call me a business strategist. Others call me their business therapist. Whatever kind of support you need, that is what I am here to provide. If you are ready to get your business to the next phase that you know you are ready for, or you are so done with all of that chaos and overwhelm and you're ready to make some serious moves and push through that chaos, 
then let's chat. Right now, I have three spots open for private clients. And if you are ready for the clarity and the results and ultimately the joy that comes along with the customized support, then working privately with me might be exactly what you need. Go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash work with Katie and go schedule a free 15 minute match session so that you and I can get on a call and make sure we are the perfect match.